Life Audio. Christian Parent Crazy World with Catherine Seegers is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational faith affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. Welcome to Christian Parent. Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Katherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will tackle this life-altering question. How can we help to prevent teen suicide in our families and in our communities? Moms and dads, this is obviously the most serious topic we have ever tackled on CPCW. Teen suicide is truly an epidemic in our country. Did you know that 20 young people take their own lives every single day in the United States? Today, you are going to hear the story of one such teen. Only she survived. Emma Benoit had a picture-perfect life. She was a vibrant, beautiful 16-year-old varsity cheerleader whose secret battle with anxiety led her to take a gun, point it at her chest, and pull the trigger. Only 1% of people with self-inflicted gunshot wounds survive. Emma is in that 1%. She is an absolute miracle and an inspiration. Now, Emma is paralyzed from the waist down, but this powerful young woman is on a mission to use her painful experience to help others find hope and to save lives. Emma is the subject of a brand new feature-length documentary called My Ascension, which you will hear more about in today's episode. You will also hear from Jennifer Ellers, a Christian counselor, crisis responder, trainer, and author. Jennifer has authored a course on youth suicide and is an instructor of the American Association of Christian Counselors Hope-Focused 3R Suicide Program. Both Emma and Jennifer will join me today to talk about teen suicide, why it's happening, and what steps we can take as parents to prevent it. That's the plan for this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World. So let's get started. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, The Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. 
Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Alrighty, moms and dads. Like I said, this is the toughest topic we've ever covered on this show. But we need to be talking about teen suicide in our families and in our youth groups and in our schools. We are not immune to this tragedy in the church or in the Christian faith. We need to be having conversations with our kids. And just a little heads up, this is going to be a two-part series. In this episode, we will talk about the events that led up to Emma's attempted suicide, culminating with Emma sharing what happened that fateful day. And we will learn the signs that we should all be looking for, especially in younger kids. And in the next episode, we will learn the signs we should be looking for in older children and the most important steps we can take as parents to prevent suicide in our families. We'll also talk about what to do if we think that a child may be contemplating suicide. Before I welcome today's guests, I want to give you just a little more perspective. According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a 2019 study showed that 8.9% of youth in grades 9 through 12 reported that they had made at least one suicide attempt in the past 12 months. That that statistic is mind Boggling. That is almost one in 10 students. Female students, by the way, attempted almost twice as often as male students. Also, there has been a 33% increase in suicides since 1999. That is huge. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in young people. Moms and dads, There is no question we need to be having these conversations. And to help us do that today, I could not be more honored to have both Emma Benoit and Jennifer Ellers on the program today. Welcome to Christian Parent Crazy World, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate it. Okay, so I definitely want to start with Emma sharing her story with us, how she got to the place where she felt like she had no other choice but to take her life. But throughout her story, I'd love to draw you in, Jennifer, to give us an expert opinion on what Emma was going through in each of these stages and how we as parents can engage with our kids and their friends, because it's not just, you know, our children. I know in my daughter's life, there there was a situation like this 
this very, an attempt to very recently in her friendship circle. So the friends are going through this as well. And to hopefully prevent, our, our goal is to prevent another child from getting to the place where they would want to take their own life. So Emma, I, I gathered from your documentary, which is called My Ascension, that you were battling with crippling anxiety and what eventually led you to attempt suicide. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. As a child, I didn't understand how big my feelings were and I didn't know what to do with them. So I struggled pretty greatly with anxiety and not feeling like I had the right to struggle because externally my life was this picture perfect life that you were describing. So as a kid, you know, not having these life skills and processing skills, I felt shame for my anxiety. And as I grew up, it just continued to grow worse and worse. What what exactly did that look like for you? Can you describe what that felt like? So the anxiety I remember it kind of manifested from my insecurities and my self-esteem issues. When I was a little girl in elementary school, I can remember feeling so self-conscious, even to get up in front of my classmates to walk to the bathroom. I was so insecure and so self-conscious that they would be talking about me or making fun of me. And so those insecurities really made me feel extremely anxious. And that bled into social anxiety as well, feeling so insecure that I was afraid of judgment and, you know, my peers bullying me that ultimately that anxiety kind of turned into a form of social anxiety where I was filtering what I was saying in front of my friends to make them happy and laugh, or I was not fully being myself. I was pretending to be someone just so I could feel like I was fitting in with the group of kids that I wanted to be friends with. And so that was very heavy and hard for me to struggle with as a kid because I didn't understand what it was. So, so you're, your friends didn't know and your parents didn't know either, did they? No, no one knew. And that's because I was ashamed of it. So I made sure that no one, no one ever worried about me um, because I didn't want to have people in my life look at me in that light because of that stigma that I was totally believing in. I felt shame. I was like, there's no reason I have to feel anxious and insecure. You know, people tell me all the time, you're so beautiful. You know, you have a great life. Just be grateful. But I never felt that way. So because of that, I felt guilty and I felt like there's no, I don't have a right to feel this way. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I protected myself from it and I put a mask up. Mm -hmm. That is such a frightening thing to go through on your own. Um, Jennifer, I want to ask you, so so when do most kids start experiencing that kind of anxiety or depression? Is there a common age when that kind of onset occurs? Well, traditionally, it is about the age that I believe Emma really started going through difficult times, which was right around the 12 to 13 mark when the hormones start to change. You go into adolescence, there's puberty. And by the way, hormones can really shift things and and create some of the biological predisposition to things like anxiety and depression, which are then exacerbated by also the circumstances that teens are going through because that's a really that middle school time is known to be the most difficult and challenging with regard to social situations and your peers and identity and a lot of the things that Emma was struggling with. But I do want to say what we're seeing, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, is that 
ages getting younger and younger. And that's something that I want to make parents aware of, because if you're sitting there with six, seven, eight-year-olds thinking, well, this is not relevant for a few years, I wish that was true. And when I was in graduate school and I was going through my education, that was true. But what we're seeing is a huge increase in suicidality, suicide attempts, and even tragically completed suicides in children ages six to 12. And we're also seeing an increase in that age group, children going to hospitals and and to doctors with mental health related concerns in that age group. So that is something that's new. But I think so many people, even mental health professionals, but especially parents, are not aware that it can start much earlier. And this can be a risk for even younger children. You know, my my oldest daughter, I can remember at age five, panic attacks, full blown blown panic attacks when Sunday school, you know, we're not not even (laughs) not even going to school, Sunday school, dropping her off there. And she has battled with anxiety for most of her life. And it's a battle that we're, you know, we're waging with her. But can you tell us then what what signs should we be looking for as parents in those early stages? Well, it's really hard because the stages are different for, mm-hmm. say, someone Emma's age, uh, when, when that started for her teenagers, even young adults and adults, it's different than younger children. But I would say to look for signs that your child it's something is different about them. So something has changed for them. We say traditionally across all age groups, look at their eating and sleeping patterns. Are they sleeping well? Are they not? How are they doing in school? How are their grades? Have you seen personality shifts or changes? And so those are some of the the first signs. And then also, if your young person is having, I don't want to go to school for some reason, or they've been engaged in an activity that they seem to love, but then all of a sudden they don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Um, so then it's just about asking questions because maybe they literally don't want to play that sport or play that musical instrument, but maybe there is another reason. Maybe it's tied to a social situation, depression or anxiety, but the hardest part of this is that we're looking for signs and and I'm giving you some of those, but the truth is some parents won't see the signs because like Emma, a lot of kids are masking it and they're doing a really good job at pretending to be fine and specifically not just not telling their parents, but actually hiding it from friends and family. That's why it's important not just to look for signs, but to have those conversations Even if you think everything is fine, it means talking to your kids about how are things going and what do you like and what do you not like, but also even specifically, have you felt down or depressed? Have you had bad days? And then what does that look like for you? And having those conversations, do you get anxious? Do you get nervous about things? Do things upset you, keep you awake at night? Do thoughts kind of go through your head and get stuck and and you're not able to get those thoughts out of your head. So having some age appropriate, depending on the age of your child or teen, some conversations with them in younger children, that might mean playing with toys and asking those questions. But with teenagers, having the conversations, but not in an accusatory or threatening way, make sure that it doesn't feel punitive or that you're saying this is an expectation you have of them that they're okay. But just, you know, I know a lot of young people experience this. In fact, so many do. Can we talk about it? Because that's going to open the door 
And uh, again, making sure they know that you love them and it's okay for them to share that with you. Mm -hmm. All you want to do is help and give them support. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Yeah. You know, one thing that really stuck out in the film to me is that one of the doctors, I think, said that children are good about talking about physical pain, but they are not good about talking about emotional pain. That's something that we try to mask. That's something that we feel ashamed of. You know, I mean, I'll be doing some future podcasts on this, but I struggled with clinical anxiety and depression for 17 years and mm. knock down, drag out. And so I, I, you know, this, this one hits close to home. I, I did not get to the point where I seriously contemplated suicide, but there were many times I prayed to die and wanted to die. Yeah. And so I understand getting to that place of desperation. So Emma, at what point in your battle with anxiety, did you start thinking about ending your life? So I struggled for pretty consistently for years, all throughout middle school and really all throughout high school as well. But I would say the breaking point, kind of the spiraling moment that my thoughts really shifted from suicidal ideation, which is the type of thinking that you were describing, just not really having a plan or an idea, but just desperately not wanting to be here and thinking things like, wish I wasn't born. If I just accidentally passed away, I would be okay with it, things like that. But really, I would say the summer before my senior year of high school is really when those thoughts kind of transition from that type of thinking to more active suicidal type thinking. So I would say it was about two to three months that I was having those types of thoughts before I made the attempt. Huh. So, and it wasn't a specific event or anything that intensified, uh, were the events involved with it or was it just this growing anxiety that you were feeling? So I would say it was a culmination of everything. It was a culmination of years worth of undiscussed and untouched feelings and years worth of struggling with depression and not having a set of coping skills, never feeling that like I could justify these things with anyone. Mm -hmm. All of those factors, I feel like truly led me to making that decision. But there was kind of a triggering point, if you will, a week before my attempt, I was in New York City on a trip that was modeling. And at the time, I had begun to spiral because I decided not to try out for cheerleading. I had started working a job that I wasn't really 
too happy about. And just my life felt like it was not going anywhere. You know, it was the summer for my senior year. So I was hopeful to go into college, but I didn't have any plans. So I just felt like I wasn't going anywhere with my life. And I felt like nothing is ever going to get better because my life has always looked this way. It's always been this constant challenge and a challenge that I don't feel like I could ever talk about with anyone. So I got to a point coming back from that, from that trip that I got invited onto where I just hit rock bottom because being on that trip and being asked to be a part of that was such a confidence boost. And it truly did bring back a lot of my joy. And so when I had to come home from that trip, I kind of had something to compare it to. Mm -hmm. So I hit rock bottom and honestly, there were so many things going through my head, but the biggest thing that I felt was hopelessness. And I felt like I was a burden. Mm. I I just have to ask, where were you like in your spiritual walk at this point? Were you going to church? Were you, did you have a relationship with God at this point or was that pretty stagnant? So growing up, I never really had a relationship with God. I always thought that I was too imperfect for God to love me. I never felt like he heard me when I prayed to him. And actually, when I was a kid, I would attend I would attend church with my friend and her family. And I loved it as an elementary school kid. I just truly loved it, looked forward to it every Sunday. And I really loved that. But the thing with my faith was I never felt like I was a part of the family. I never felt like I was a child of God, but I loved being a part of it with their family. Mm-hmm. So as I got older, I kind of just slowly got further and further from, from God and, you know, not attending church, not having faith in, in my environment, in my home really um, talked about. And a big part of it, it was just not something that was a part of my life, truly. Mm. Uh, so, so Jennifer, do you know if most people who contemplate suicide before attempting it, do they do that for a long period of time, short period of time? Does it just vary from person to person? Well, it does really vary from person to person, but with young people, a much higher percentage, it's impulsive. It's very impulsive. And that's one of the things that I really want parents or any caregivers to realize that most adults will take much longer to think through plan process before they take action. Mm-hmm. But of younger people, and that's really those under the age of 30, but particularly the, the younger you are, the more impulsive this can be. I believe that something like half of them have a crisis within the 24 to 48 hours prior to the attempt. And for many of them, even I think a a certain percentage, I don't have those right in front of me, but I think something like in around 25%, literally less than five minutes had elapsed uh, between the time that they decided they were going to take take their life and actually doing it. This is from uh, studies of those who had very much like Emma, near fatal suicide attempts. They had interviewed a lot of people who had had near fatal suicide attempts that had attempted and didn't die. And many of them said it was a very impulsive decision. The other thing that's important, and I'd love for Emma to, to tell this about her own story, is that for those who survived, Most of them had a story that literally within minutes, seconds 
uh, after their attempt, they they regretted it. Mm-hmm. They wish they hadn't done it. It was it was not something that that they wanted to do, but it was more of an impulsive decision. And then they didn't really want to die. And so I think that's important for us to know because it leads to some things that we want to discuss. And that's about restricting access to lethal means during that time, because oftentimes that period of really wanting to end your life is very short and they're not thinking clearly. You're leading to my very next question, actually. Um, Yeah, I wanted to hear Emma talk about that, too, because one of the doctors in the documentary, this fascinated me. He talked about how seductive, that's how he called it. He said it was a how seductive the idea of suicide can be for someone. It seems like the pressure just comes in waves where it gets more and more intense. And the idea of suicide just seems like a blessed relief. And the other thing he said was that that no one wants to end their life. They want to end the pain. And so how would you speak to that, Emma? How would you describe that that seductive feeling leading up to your your attempt to take your life? Oh, it's 100 percent accurate. I mean, like I said, I had been struggling with those types of intrusive type of thoughts about a month or two before the actual attempt happened. And when those intrusive thoughts would hit the forefront of my brain. It was like the only thing I could think about. Mm. The only thing I could see, it was the only option. And it sounded like the smartest option to me mentally in that time. But it was 100% an impulsive decision because immediately, I would even say milliseconds after it happened, I experienced instant regret. And I knew that I had just made a mistake and that I didn't want to die. And so... I have to believe that a lot of other people who make an attempt feel that same way Mm -hmm. um, in those initial moments after the attempt has been made. Because the reality is when you have so much emotional and mental hurt and pain that you're experiencing and you don't feel like you can talk about it, you don't feel like it's ever going to get better, the best solution seems like escaping it Mm -hmm. and the escape would be death. And so death isn't really what we're after. If you're suicidal, it's the escape from the turmoil and the pain. Ending the pain. And I, I relate to that. I truly do. Um, yeah, I, you called it suicidal ideation. You know, I never really got to that place where I seriously contemplated it, but I, I would be lying if I didn't say I was there. There were times when I was driving around a corner in a car and thought, wow, it'd be nice to wrap my tree around that, uh, my car around that tree. Or, you know, I, just because I wanted to end the pain, you know, I, I love that you had Kevin Hines in your documentary. I was familiar with his story years ago. I thought it was fascinating. And he he spoke to the very thing you're talking about, this seductive quality. I liken it to that ethereal lure of the sirens on the rock that we hear about the ancient sailors. They would hear these voices coming from the rocks, beckoning them to bring their ships. But if their ships went to shore, they would crash and die on these rocky shores. It's this lure towards something that seems Seems good, And yet at the end, it's not what we really want. And Kevin talked about that because, of course, you know his stories, but my listeners don't. He attempted in 2000, in the year 2000, to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And just for a little context, since 1937, approximately 1,800 people have ended their lives 
by jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge. Hines, Kevin Hines, is one of only 35 people who have survived that jump. That's like 2%. You're 1% of people who have survived gunshot wound. Now, Kevin said in his, uh, I read an article about him. It's exactly what you're describing. He said he kept hearing a voice in his head saying, jump now, jump now. And he said he felt compelled to die. And it just alludes to that seductive quality of suicide that we've been talking about. But he also said the moment, the very moment his fingers left the railing, he felt an instant regret. He said, I thought it was too late. I said to myself, what have I done? I don't want to die. And he realized at that point, he said that he made the greatest mistake uh, of his life. And you said something similar right after I recall in the documentary, what did you say right afterwards? Your your mother, describe what happened in that scene. Yes. Yeah, so my mom, actually, I was on the phone with her before the attempt happened. And kind of like we were talking about with teenagers, there's oftentimes that moment of crisis. And my moment of crisis was comparing the way I felt in New York to the way I felt back at home. And I had a panic attack. My first ever fully fledged panic attack ensued. And I picked up the phone, called my mom because I was confused, lost and hopeless. And so I called my mom and I was attempting to talk to her and try to explain to her these things that I had been dealing with. And in the midst of our conversation, I felt an immense feeling to just end it. And I felt like, what is the point of trying you're burdening your mom she doesn't need to deal with this right now and you're you're just a problem child um and that's what i was telling myself amidst all of the other racing thoughts that i had but what happened was my mom had to put me on hold and she placed me on hold and then immediately that thought just it was like it couldn't get rid of it and being you know 16 having an underdeveloped mind and not having any clue, I just impulsively acted on it. Hmm. And then what happened immediately afterwards then? So immediately after I pulled the trigger, my mom actually came back on the other end of the phone because like I said, she had placed me on hold and she got back on the line and obviously I was non-responsive. And she said that she just had a really bad feeling, a really bad gut feeling. She calls it mother's intuition or a sign from God, but she just said that she knew something royally bad had happened. And so she just decided to leave work and come home. And fortunately she found me immediately as when she got home and was able to get the first responders on the way and um, really just play a part in saving my life. I think honestly, it was a culmination of every person responding at a quick pace, but certainly the only thing to attribute my second chance to is the sheer and utter grace of God. That is truly the only way to describe it because I am in that 1% and, you know, people don't survive gunshot wounds to the chest. They don't survive things that I had that I survived. So there's no other way to describe it other than a sheer miracle. Emma certainly is a miracle. To hear the conclusion of this interview, where we will discuss more fully the spiritual aspects of suicide, uh, the signs that we should look for 
and older children and the most important steps we can take to prevent suicide. Tune in next week. We will also talk about what to do if you think that your child may be contemplating suicide. If you are in that situation right now, if you think your child is in imminent danger, don't wait until next week's episode. Call the National Suicide Hotline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255 right now. Don't wait. I have put together a list of scriptures that you can pray over a child or anyone who is battling anxiety, depression, or any form of mental illness. I'm offering that list of Bible verses as a free resource for subscribing to my website at katherinesegers.com. If you are already a subscriber, open the email about this episode on preventing teen suicide and you will find it there. You can find out more about Emma's resources at myascension.us and Jennifer's resources at aacc.net. That stands for the American Association of Christian Counselors. Those links are in the show notes on Life Audio as well as my website. Moms and dads, we have to be in tune with our kids. We need to have conversations with them often. We need to ask the tough questions about how they are doing not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. Have a conversation with each one of your kids today. And be sure to tune in next week. It just might save a life. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now. And I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh and maybe you could say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. Uh, just a thought. Uh, and be sure to check out my website, which is katherinesegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them to be. We'll see you next time. Christian Parent Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
Scripture and brain science agree, meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's Word, listen to the Spirit, and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.